Well, good morning. Glad to see you uh, this morning and glad to be with you. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, uh, my name is Brian Robertson. I'm the lead pastor here uh, at the church and I'm very glad to have you uh, gather with us. And if you're gathering online uh, this morning, I want to spend just a second here uh, just welcoming you and, and we're super glad that you're here. You're going to find ways, if you're online, if you're here in person, just you can glean from this too. But if you're specifically, if you're online, on our online campus, there's all sorts of good resources there. There's the journal there. There's an online Bible app there. There's also an opportunity for you to click request prayer. And you can talk to somebody right now if you have a need for prayer. And you can do that right now, right there on the online campus. So we're glad to have you. We hope that this morning is an encouragement to you. Uh, that you would find uh, the resources there and encouragement to you. And be able to follow uh, along with us uh, from where you are. Um, but if you are uh, here... In person, I'm glad to see your face. Uh, and if you are on, online, I want to encourage you to uh, consider, if you're in the Lima area, Lima Allen County area, to join us in person. And hopefully you'd be encouraged by all the smiling faces and the encouragement of being in person with one another, hospitality of one another. So very glad to be here in person with you guys. And for those that are streaming, streaming again, I'm glad you're here. This morning we're working through the book of Mark. Uh, we're continuing in this teaching series. We're in the book of Mark. We're in verse, or sorry, chapter 9 this morning. So if you want to get a head start and you have a Bible with you, you want to start looking at chapter 9. As we've been doing this, we've been seeking to not only read the gospel, to study the gospel together, to look at Jesus, to find his way and the way of Jesus as being a, a countercultural way of serving and of compassion and of walking alongside others, sacrificing for one another. Uh, you see this way in Jesus all throughout the Gospel of Mark. In fact, one of the kind of the theme verses or the theme uh, passages in Mark is Mark chapter 10, verses 42 to 45, which we've been working on memorizing, uh, where Jesus says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's kind of encapsulates a lot of what the Gospel of Mark is all about, where you see Jesus not coming to just simply be served by everybody, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So as apprentices to Jesus... Whether you've been with us during the whole series of Mark, or this is your first Sunday jumping in with us, what we've been seeking to do is to apprentice ourselves after Jesus to learn to do our life the way Jesus would do it if he were us, which simply means how are we, how are we learning to live our life not to be served, but to serve and to give our life as a ransom for many, to, to give our life out for others, to sacrifice our life for others. So what I want us to do as we've been studying the gospel here is to stay engaged in the study, to use the journals that we've offered you. There's great questions in there. There's videos that you can do. And if you're taking notes this morning, if you have your journal with you, we're on page 41. That's where the sermon notes are going to be this morning where you can jot down and write your own little notes there. But we're, we're seeking to study. We're seeking to memorize this passage. And we're seeking to understand how can we be, be people of servanthood to the places where God has called us. And in that way, we take up the way of Jesus. We follow the king who has come to not to be served, but to serve. And we learn to live our life in his kingdom and in his way. And hopefully we will find that uh, as we continue to go along, we'll find it to be a more easy way of living as we go. 
So again, we're in Mark chapter 9, so if you have your Bible or Bible app, or if you're online, you can use that Bible apart right next to the side there on the tab line. We're going to read Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29 this morning. So it's a story here in Mark that we're going to dive into and see what God would teach us about life in his kingdom and life following after him. So if you have a Bible with you, follow along. Otherwise, you can follow along on the, screen, on the screens with me. But Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who was possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. Well, as we dive into this, this passage this morning, let me pray for us. We'll see what God would teach us. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see and our hearts that would be softened to respond to what you're calling us to do. May we be people of your kingdom, influenced by your ways and not ours. And may we find that your ways are good and your burden is light, and the way in which you lead us leads to eternal life. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, what I want us to see this morning in this passage is both a warning and some good news. Both a warning and then some good news. Jesus comes down off the mountain, and if we would have read the first part of chapter 9, you would have seen that he was on the mountain of transfiguration where he and Peter, James, and John are up in the top, and his, his body is transfigured, and his clothes are glowing white, and he sees, they see Elijah and Moses, and a cloud appears, and the voice of God the Father says, This is my son, so listen to him. 
And then Peter, James, and John, then Jesus, they come down off the mountain and they have this kind of spiritual high. They've seen the divine. They've seen the power of Jesus. They've seen everything about who he is. They've had this experience with him. And as they're coming down the mountain, they rejoin the other disciples and they see a crowd is gathered around these disciples. An argument is going between the disciples and the teachers of the law. And Jesus finds out what's going on with the, the argument. They find that there's a boy that's been possessed by an evil spirit that's causing him to foam at the mouth, gnashing his teeth and his things are, are gripping them and he can, nothing can happen. And the disciples are unable to do anything. They're unable to help. They're unable to cast out the demon. They're unable to see the rightness. They're unable to do what is need to be done. And what we see in Jesus is he comes to the boy and he heals the boy. Everybody's in this, astonished and amazed by his power. He heals the boy and the disciples pull him aside the, kind of in the private room and they say, Jesus, well, what happened? How come we couldn't do any of that? To which Jesus replies, replies, well, this can be only done by prayer. By prayer. So what we see in this story, in this experience with the disciples and the crowd and then Jesus is we see both warning and good news. So let's start with the warning that we see. The first part of the warning that I want us to pay attention to is the graphic depiction that we see as Mark is writing about what's happening here as he depicts what's going on with the boy and, and his father and the family. What, what we see in this graphic depiction is a warning of the evil of evil. What we see is the evil of evil. In verse 17 and 18, the, the father tells Jesus that this evil spirit, this thing that has gripped his son, often will throw him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and he's gnashing his teeth and things are happening to his physical body. And then he repeats it very similarly in verse 22 where he says that that same spirit will often throw him into the fire, throw him into the waters, trying to kill him. He's destroying him. He's bent on destruction of this boy. And this is what evil does to us. Evil is evil. It is destructive. It is intent on destroying us. It does not lead us to the life that we have been created for. It pulls us away from God's desire. It pulls us away from the things that God would want for us. It is destructive. It is intent on bringing this boy harm, and it will be intent on bringing us harm. There's a warning that we see in this graphic depiction of what is going on with this boy's physical body is to remind us that the evil of evil that we see around us. But there's a problem in our life because oftentimes evil doesn't look evil on the outside. Oftentimes what it appears on the outside doesn't appear to be what it really is. Sometimes it looks benign and, and nothing wrong with it or just kind of harmless. Other times it seems outright attractive to us, something that we want to have. We don't see evil for what it is. We don't see sin for what it is. We don't see the problems for what they really are. They lure us in. They tempt us in. And what this passage gives us is a stark warning to see evil for what it really is, how it is intent on destroying us and to break us down and to pull us away from the life which God has called us to. Let me get a little messy with you this morning. And I do this in all love and compassion as I possibly can as one of your pastors. But one of the greatest temptations in our culture today is the temptation towards consumerism. 
and overspending to numb out the loneliness that we feel by clicking through Amazon, hoping that that one box with the little smiley face really will bring joy to us as the UPS guy drops it off on our doorstep, that somehow that next little box is going to bring satisfaction to us. And yet discontentedness in our hearts and consumerism in our mouse clicks eats away at us, and it is never satisfying. It is never satisfying. It's only a temporary fix. And when that little box goes away, then we're left alone with our own discontent and loneliness again. But it looks so good, right? That little add to shopping cart button, it seems so innocent. We should just click it. But uncontrolled spending and discontentedness in our hearts that only will reinforce the fear that we all live with underneath the surface that we're really not enough. That we're really not enough. That our satisfaction will really only be met by some external thing or some external experience. It seems so innocent. It seems actually attractive to us, but it pulls us away from the life that God has actually called us to. And overspending Consuming and overspending habits have a way of driving us away from the life that God has called us to. It's never fulfilling. It's actually destroying parts of our soul. If I haven't disturbed you too much, let me try a second time. Because another temptation that we see in our culture is the temptation to be quick-witted and put others down. We pass it off as sarcasm and as humor. But so often beneath that is a superiority complex to think that we are better than others. Is that too close? It is for me. Because I know that's one of my temptations that I can be quick-witted with my tongue and I can be sharp with my words. And I think it's funny and I think it's okay. But when I'm quiet alone enough and I get away with God, I can see that that is driving a wedge between me and another person. And I am far from being able to love my neighbor as myself when I'm too quick-witted and sarcastic and sharp with my tongue. I say it's funny I say it's just my sense of humor. It's just my way. But if I'm honest, it's deeper than that. And it stops me from loving my neighbor as myself. I could go on, but I'll not. <laughs> I'll move on. I just want us to hear a warning that while we pass these things off as being innocuous or just benign or nothing really harmful about it, just the way the culture goes, just the way that everybody else talks, just the way that everybody else shops, just the way that everybody else does things. While we pass that off as those things, I want us to see in this passage a physical picture of what happens to us when evil takes over our lives. When we see evil for what it really is. That evil is evil. It's not just that the boy was not spiritual. The evil had robbed him of humanity. 
It was intent on bringing him harm. It was intent on bringing him to his death because that is what evil does. And while we cozy up next to it and think it's okay, it seeps in and it is bent on destroying our souls, shrinking our hearts so that we have a difficult time loving the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, strength, and our neighbor as ourself. There's a second warning I want us to see in this passage. I want us to notice about evil that it has a far-reaching impact or far-reaching influence way beyond what we experience ourselves. It, it impacts others. Now, we like to think that we live in, in a vacuum, that our decisions and that our life just kind of impacts us. But what we fail to realize is not only does the evil and the sin and the temptations and the things that we feel so entrapped by, not only does it bad for us, but it's also harmful for those that we love and harmful for those around us. Evil has a far-reaching influence or a far-reaching impact on other people around us. Have we not experienced that? Have you and I not experienced where we've been hurt as you watch someone you love get entrapped and entangled in a pattern of sin and evil? Where you watch them lose themselves in a web of deceit and circle the drain, as it were. While they may have immediate consequences that fall on them, that's for sure. The ripple effect of their decisions, has that not hurt you as well? Have we not felt the sting of the impact of evil in someone else's life where it has far-reaching impacts on us? And again, let me just speak into us directly. This is one of our pastors here. Each of us are tempted to think sin and evil and wrongdoing is not as bad as it really is. Each of us, you and I, are the same in this. And what I want us to see in this passage is a very vivid picture of the reality of what evil and sin and entrapment really is. That it is not something to get comfortable in. It's not something to just cozy up and to just to kind of shrug our shoulders and say, well, that's just the way our culture is. That's just the way people talk. That's just the way people post on Facebook. That's just the way people do things on Instagram or Snapchat or on Twitter or on any other of the social media avenues. That's just the way people are. What I want us to do is to see it for what it really is. Friends, this is why Jesus is so clear in his direct, direct teaching about sin and how do we are to deal aggressively with it, that we ought not be comfortable with it, that we ought not get ourselves where we're just kind of throwing up our shoulders and going, it's okay. We ought to see it through the temptation and through the, the mirage that is on the surface and to see if we're what it really is. And what we see in this passage is a physical representation of what happens when it takes over your life. It is bent on destroying us. I pray that you and I would not be naive in thinking and in, in self-reflection. Pray that you and I would not be naive thinking that that kind of entrapment, that that kind of life, well, that may be tempted for other people, but not me. Because I go to church on Sunday. 
and I have a Bible on my bookshelf, and I listen to Caleb in the car when I drive. So that kind of temptation, that kind of entrapment into sinful behavior, and that kind of entrapment into evil things, well, that's good. That that may happen for other people. You know, those non-Christian people, some of those kinds of people. Don't be so naive thinking that you're not tempted in the same kind of things that they are. And that I'm not tempted. That our willpower simply is not enough. I pray that with sobering honesty that we would take inventory of our own souls. Not so concerned about the soul of another, but more concerned about the soul of myself and to see that sin is so deceptively attractive to me at times that I am allured to say yes to that which God has said is evil and is wrong. Friends, evil is evil. It is bent on destruction. It has far-reaching influences, and it tempts every one of us. Every one of us. Now, there's a third warning that I see in this passage I want us to pay attention to. Notice. I've kind of alluded to this already, so I'll just make this third one kind of brief. I'll mention it, and we'll go on. And that is our powerlessness to defeat evil on our own. That we are powerless to defeat it on our own. See, the disciples that saw this boy that was entrapped in, in, uh, with, with this evil spirit, and they could not deliver him. They couldn't save him. They, they, they couldn't do it in their own strength. And this is just a stark reminder to us of our own inability to defeat the evil and the temptation, the things around us on our own. And Jesus has this wonderful invitation to them. He says, this is done through prayer. Not on your own strength, not on your own abilities, not that you can manage it on your, not your own willpower, not your own. So sin and evil is evil. And it has far-reaching influences around us, impacts those around us. And we are powerless to defeat it on our own. And you might be thinking to yourself, why did I choose to come to church today? This is gloomy. But remember I said this passage has a warning and good news. And good news. Let's get to the good news part. Right? Notice that Jesus has not thrown in the towel on this boy. Jesus didn't throw up his hands and say, I'm out and leave. He didn't give up. And nor has he given up on you. Nor has he thrown in the towel on you. Once again, you see Jesus as the servant, compassionate, graceful king who asks for the boy to be brought to him. And he heals him. And he heals him. See, the problem wasn't that the evil that this boy was experiencing was too much. It wasn't that God lacked any power over the evil that was entrapping this young boy. It wasn't that God was unwilling to save and to heal and to bring restoration to him. The problem seems that everybody was trying to handle it and deal with it on their own, and they lacked confidence in God's ability Jesus says everything is possible for the one who believes. Or, another way of saying that, everything's possible for the one who relies on God. To which the Father says, I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. Help me in my unbelief. 
That's a humble confession that would be worthwhile repeating in our own life. Because there are moments that I live for God. And there are moments where my eyes are sure of His ways. And there are moments where I see things clearly and I want to pursue things God's way. But there are also moments where I live for myself. And my eyes are clouded over and lured by the temptations of this world. And the words that come out of my mouth are more self-driven than God-driven. So while I do believe, Father, help me in my unbelief. It's a humble confession that we ought to say more often in our own life. To recognize those moments. And to recognize that the war of faith is still raging within our hearts. It wasn't done years ago when I said yes to Jesus, but it is constant right now where I am continually being invited to say, Father, help me in my unbelief. While there are moments where I follow you wholeheartedly, there are also moments where I do it my way. I do it my way. And so this good news the good news that Jesus gives us is we're invited into relationship with God and we're invited to pray, to give over to him. At the end of our passage, Jesus says this is brought out by prayer. By prayer. So we're invited into a, an ongoing conversation with the God who has the power to heal. See, what prayer does is it abandons my delusion of my own strength. Prayer brings me back to reliance on Jesus, for he, is, he alone is able to handle the evil, the sin, the temptation that I'm so easily entrapped by. So prayer is both a confession and it is a recognition of my need. It is a confession that I am unable and that I, there are still times when I go my own way. So it's a confession there and it is a recognition that I need the power of Jesus to be at, at work in my life. I don't pray to be heard by others. I don't pray to be looking good in front of others. I don't pray with fancy words or to be a special incantation to make sure that the right things happen or to force God's hand like he's some kind of robot that I can just dial it up the right way that he has to do things. No, I pray because I've come to recognize. I've come to recognize the only hope that I have to face the temptations and the ways in which I respond in my carnal ways or my ways, the only hope that I have of changing is the, is the grace of Jesus. And so I don't pray in order to force his hand. I don't pray to be looked at nicely by other people. I don't pray loudly to be heard by others. I pray because I have come to confess my need and recognize his grace. I hope you see the difference. I hope you see the difference. And I certainly don't pray as a last resort. I pray because prayer is what fuels my life. The grace of God is what fuels my life. See, a typical pattern for me, and I suggest, I think it may be for some of us as well. When I approach a difficult situation or I approach a recognizing a, a sin tendency in my own life, or something in my own life. But a typical pattern in order to deal with that would be able to try and change it on my own strength. And if that's not working well, then I usually Google something. Right? See if the almighty Google tells me what to do. And if that doesn't work, then maybe I'll talk to a friend. And if that doesn't work, well then maybe 
as a last-ditch resort, I'll fall back on prayer. But usually when it follows that pattern, where it's myself first, and then Google second, then friend third, and then finally prayer, usually by the time I get to prayer, I've got my hands thrown up and go, well, it's probably not going to do anything anyway, but might as well try. Right? It's like the Hail Mary pass at a football game with one second left, and you got 60, 70 yards to throw the ball, and you're like, well, it's probably not going to work, but might as well kind of thing. But Jesus, his invitation to prayer is not to be used when you've exhausted all other resources, but his invitation to prayer is to be the fuel by which we live, sustained by his grace. This is what Paul's talking about again in 1 Thessalonians where he says, pray without ceasing to bring things before God. So before I go to a difficult conversation with a coworker, before I go into that, I confess my tendency to react in a self or self-preservation way. I, I confess my tendency to look at the person with disdain or disgust. And so instead of walking into that with that, I walk in praying for gentleness before the conversation has happened, before it has blown up. In my face, I pray for gentleness, to not give in to power struggles or belittling language to the person I'm having an argument with. I, I, when I receive an unexpected check in the mail and it comes, or my bank account hits a bonus for some reason, I know that my temptations are to go towards selfish desires, that finally I can purchase that thing that I've been wanting, and I can click yes to that Amazon box, and it can finally show up. And I confess that and I pray to God, how can I use this for your kingdom purposes and not my own purposes? I both confess and I trust into his grace. Which brings me to the next point of this passage I want us to notice. This good news, well, you see the power of Jesus. You see the power of Jesus in this passage. This boy who's been crippled by this evil spirit for since his childhood he's brought before Jesus Jesus speaks to it and notice what happens immediately the boy is healed the spirit responds he has to respond because Jesus spoke and what we see is the power when Jesus speaks things happen things happen there is no evil that is so evil that Jesus cannot defeat it. There is no temptation that you face that is so tempting that Jesus cannot defeat it. There is no thing entrapped that you are entrapped in that Jesus cannot set you free from. What you see in this passage is the power of Jesus. And if we're honest, there are times when we look back at our life, we see the patterns of our life, and while we like to think that the Christian answer is that God is able, oftentimes we live by the pattern of I'm able, or my friends are able, or Google is able, and then finally maybe God is able. And what we see in this passage is a call and the good news to pray, and that God is power, powerful. Again, we want to pray the prayer of this Father in the story, Father. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. So while this passage has some warnings for us, 
to see evil for what it is, the far-reaching impact of it, and our powerlessness over it, would you also see the good news? Would you also hear the invitation to a relationship with a God who has the power to break every chain and every addiction and every entrapment in your life and in mine? There's a call to a relational life with him through prayer. To bring your area of need to the one who has the power to speak at it and it moves. To bring your area of need to the one who has the power to speak at it and it moves. So here's what I want to do for us. I'm going to give us a little bit of time this morning and I want you to consider this week. To have a practice to bring before your mind what's going to happen this week. Maybe even this afternoon conversation you're going to have or the people you're going to interact with, things that are going to happen, places where you are going to be tempted to give into your ways, your natural ways, and yet you want to bring this situation before the one who has the ability to speak at it and it moves. So I'm going to invite you to have a moment just of, of quiet prayer where you think about your day, this today or this week, in a situation where you would be tempted to respond in, in, a, in, in kind of your normal pattern, and yet I'm going to invite you to pray that God would bring you grace for a new pattern, a new way of experiencing that, a new response, new words to come out of your mouth, new ways of interacting with those people that you're going to interact with. And it's just a simple, quiet prayer in your own heart. Something like this. God, I need your grace. I know I'm going to face this situation, and I typically respond, however, but I need your strength to respond in a kingdom way. God, I need your grace and your strength in this situation. I typically will respond in this way, but I need your grace to respond in a kingdom way. So if you would, quiet your hearts and bow your heads, close your eyes, get a moment of just quiet prayer before we lead in a response. God, we confess to you today that while there are days where we walk with you and we respond in your ways, there are other times when we respond out of anger, hurt, discontent. We lash out and we respond in a way that is not conducive for your kingdom. We're entrapped by some of those patterns of behavior, and we need you. I pray this week that we would respond in ways that are kingdom, and that you would give us eyes to see and hearts that could respond, and we would see you move in our hearts and our lives and in the situations around us, that we would be your people, and we would see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.